Good morning, and I'm just thrilled to be back with you again here at St. John's. I was here on the very first day of the year this year, and now I'm on the last day of the year. So it's, it's just great. It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. It, it's been a blessing to me to be part of this congregation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have celebrated the birth of your son, and we thank you that uh, through him we have the good news of the way you love us. Through his death and resurrection, you have given us the gospel, the good news, and we pray that as we read your word today, we might be filled with a sense of the awe of your love. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, back in September, we began a journey through the Bible. We started in Genesis and dipped into some other Old Testament books. We're calling it the big picture because we're going through the whole thing real fast. And last week, we celebrated the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we're moving into the New Testament. As you may know, the first four books of the New Testament are called Gospels, which means good news. They tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And beginning today through Easter, we're going to be spending our time in the Gospel of Mark. Now, I'm excited about that because Mark is my favorite book in the whole Bible. Okay? Now, I'll tell you more about that in a little while, but for now, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible today, of course, there's one in the, in the pew seat uh, in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, this is your chance. Take one of those home and start the new year outright, spending time in God's Word. So please turn with me now to Mark chapter 1 as we begin verses reading verses 1 through 20. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of, for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. 
At once the Spirit was sent on him. The Spirit sent him out to the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put into prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and he left their fa- they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I mentioned earlier that the Gospel of Mark is my favorite book in the whole Bible. So I've been looking forward to beginning this part of our series ever since Pastor Tom told me about it back in July. Now, just because Mark is my favorite book in the Bible doesn't mean I don't love and appreciate the other books. I certainly do. And just because Mark is my favorite book doesn't mean it has to be your favorite book. Not at all. But I do hope you'll spend some time in it. Like all our favorite things, they become our favorites because they're associated something, with something very special in our lives. And that's certainly true in my case. So I have to tell you a story. There was a young boy. I think he was eight or nine years old. He was a great kid. Though he was going through that growth spurt that kids go through, and he hadn't really regained his coordination yet. So he wasn't one of the first ones picked for the ball team or other groups. He had a few friends in school, but didn't particularly feel popular. But he had a good home, and his parents and siblings made him feel loved. One summer, he went to church camp. He had a wonderful week. He swam, he went canoeing, took part in Bible lessons, slept in a cabin every night, and had a lot of fun. Well, it was the last day of camp, and many of the parents had driven up to pick up their children. Many parents and camp counselors were clustered in different areas of of the uh, open area, and just chatting with old friends and hearing camp stories from the week. All of a sudden, this boy bolts out of one of the cabins, running as fast as he can to one of the adult groups, shouting, good news, good news. When he got to that group of grown-ups, he said something to them, and then he started running to another group of adults, shouting, good news, good news. And he got into that group, and he talked to them a little bit. And then once again, He bolted out of that one to another adult group, shouting, good news, good news. Now, his parents were part of that last group. So his mom scooped him up into her arms, and he looked up at his mom, and he said, 
Jesus loves me. He looked at his dad and he said, Jesus loves me. He got it. Got it. Everything his parents had taught him, everything he had heard at church, and now everything he had experienced in church camp, all added up and were used by God so that he finally understood that Jesus loves him. And it was for real. Well, I wish I knew that boy, because it wasn't me. But I love his story. And I had to tell you that story to tell you the next one. That's because the ending of his story is kind of the beginning of mine. I was raised in a family where I didn't know a lot about God or Jesus or what the Christian faith was like. We memorized prayers and prayed them at meals and at bedtime. But most of all, we knew one thing, and that is we would be in church on Sunday because that was the rule, right? You always go to church every Sunday. Now, in my family, that rule was hard and fast. It didn't really matter if the re- what the rest of your week looked like. It didn't really matter if God was involved or talked about or even thought about. But on Sunday, we'd be in church. Now, that's not a bad thing. But when I graduated from high school and went off to college, I had to make a choice. Almost all freshmen at my school had classes at 7.30 in the morning, every morning, Monday through Saturday. Yes, six days a week. Now, this is going to sound shallow and immature and irresponsible, but at that time in my life, I was convinced that it was obscene for mornings to begin before 11 a.m., Like I said, looking back, it seems childish. But at 18 years old, I had a terrible time with this. So one afternoon, dragging myself across campus, so tired, I sat beneath a tree and just talked to God. And I said, God, I'm pretty sure you're real. But you're going to have to be you're going to have to be relevant in my life 24-7, 365 or it's not worth giving up my Sunday mornings, the only time I can sleep in just to go to church. Well, I didn't hear it, but it was as if I heard it. I heard, okay. I was so startled, I shouted out loud, what? Again, I didn't hear it, but it was as if I heard it. You're on. There are several prayers that God will always answer. And one of them is when you ask him to become more important in your life. I stood up and continued walking to my dorm. My conversation with God hadn't been much of a prayer, but over the next few weeks, it seemed like God was trying to get my attention. About a week later, a guy living on the same floor as I was in my dorm who was about two years ahead of me, he was involved in InterVarsity Campus Fellowship, asked if we could begin meeting for a Bible study. I said, okay. And so we started meeting once a week, and 
going through the book of First John. Now that sent me to the Christian bookstore because it was just off campus because I didn't have a Bible. They helped me find one. While I was there, I noticed that all the store clerks had buttons that read, I've been to Narnia. Well, I'd never heard of Narnia. So I asked one of the clerks, and they told me about the Chronicles of Narnia book series by C.S. Lewis. And this was long before they ever came out in movies. I eventually wore the covers off that Bible that they gave me, helped me select, because there's only so much that wood glue and rubber bands can do on a book that's so well used. And the writings of C.S. Lewis have long been a profound influence in my life. Well, finally, I was walking back to the dorm on a Friday afternoon at about 4.30 p.m. I passed the Christian Ministry Center on, on campus, as I always did. The Christian Ministry Center was a building where they gave uh, offices to all the various denominational campus pastors. This time I walked in. I had no plans to walk in. I didn't, don't even know why I really walked in. And I discovered that the Lutheran campus pastor was the only one who didn't know you were supposed to leave work early on Friday afternoon and call it a week. The place was completely locked up except for one office. That door was opened, and so I knocked. Pastor Dennis Ormseth asked if he could help me, and I sat down to talk. I hadn't really intended to visit, so I had nothing planned to talk about, and so I just blurted something out. I said, well, I'm a pre-med student, but if that doesn't work out, I was thinking about becoming a pastor. Now, that was a complete lie. I had never, ever, even once considered, that thought about becoming a pastor had never, ever crossed my mind. It wasn't even on my radar. Thankfully, Pastor Ormseth was a wise man. And he said, well, if becoming a pastor isn't your first choice, it can't be a choice at all. Whew, I'm off the hook for that. I thought I had dodged a bullet. Well, now, if any of you find it, <clears throat> excuse me, a little ironic that I'm going to school to become a pastor, and I'm up here speaking to you right now, I would simply remind you that just a few months ago, we studied the book of Jonah, and when we were there, we learned that you can run from God, but you can't hide. Anyway, <clears throat> after Pastor Ormseth got off the phone with Mrs. Ormseth, who had called to remind him that he should have been home by now and that supper was getting cold, he, we talked for a little longer. To help me learn more about God, Pastor Ormseth helped me enroll in an evening course that another church near campus was having on the Gospel of Mark. They used this book, The Miracle of Mark, and it was written by a terrific Lutheran theologian who, as it, hopen, as it happens, 
many of my current professors that I'm studying with now had, the, had him as their professor when they were in seminary. So using the class and the book and a Bible study in the dorm and a camp- campus pastor who went home to a cold supper, God made a miracle in Bill. And I, too, could have been like that boy at church camp, shouting, good news, good news, Jesus loves me. So I want to invite you to read the Gospel of Mark and be with us all the way through Easter as we immerse ourselves in this splendid book. Allow me to introduce you to Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, who was not one of the disciples, not one of the twelve. He was probably a companion of Peter. And much of what is written in the book recounts Peter's experiences with Jesus. Now, Mark is the least read and the least used gospel in the whole church. And that's been the case for over 1,500 years since St. Augustine's time in the 5th century. And it became this because it was once believed that the Gospel of Mark was written second and that it was a poor version of Matthew. Well, we now know that Mark was written first, probably between 60 and 70 A.D., and that it set the pattern for the other Gospels. The book of Mark is unlike any of the other three Gospels. It's shorter, far more concise, and it reads like an outline or a bulleted list. And it gives you the idea that Mark is in a hurry. And he is. There's only one thing he's there to tell you. He's got one job. And that is to bring you the good news about Jesus Christ. And he can't wait to do it. He's anxious to do it. And everything that he wants to tell you for real is in chapters 14, 15, and 16. So everything that leads up to it, he's going to get through just as fast as he can because he's in a hurry. Consequently, Mark is not a history. It is nor is it a biography. As you will find if you read Matthew or Luke, they are. They're a history and a biography. Instead, Mark is more like a sermon. Like a sermon, Mark has one goal. He wants you to know that God loves you and that God provided a way for you to have everlasting life with him through his son, Jesus. To get to that gospel message, you must know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So Mark starts out with with Jesus' ministry, not with his birth as other gospels do. He begins with Jesus engaged in ministry. You can also tell that Mark is anxious to get to the real message because he sticks with the results, omitting most of the details until chapter 14, which is where the Passion of Christ or the Easter story begins. One more clue that Mark is anxious to get to the good news is his use of the Greek adverb, athus, 
which means immediately or at once. The New International Version that we read here at at St. John's often says at once or without delay. We had four of them in the scripture that we just read today. So you'll see, when you read Mark, you'll see the words at once or immediately, over and over and over. Now, at least one biblical scholar suggests that Mark is not using this to mean at once or immediately, like the very next moment, the way we typically interpret those words. Instead, he's using those words as a marker, like a bullet list. It's the next thing you need to know is... I'll leave you with one example where Mark is just giving the facts. A portion of our scripture for today described that Jesus calling his first four disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So we read, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brothers casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. What did we learn? We learned that Jesus called four fishermen to be disciples, and they came at once. Or did they? Turn with me or listen as I read the same account in the Gospel of Luke. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put him a little out from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Pause here a second and notice how Simon addresses Jesus as master. Let's see what happens next. We continue. When he had done so, they caught such a huge number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee's, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. 
Now Simon Peter is calling Jesus Lord. He knows who he is. Both accounts of Jesus' calling his disciples are true. But one just gives us more detail about the other. To Mark, the only thing you need to know is Jesus called disciples and they came. Why? Because we're in a hurry to tell you the good news about Jesus. Mark is anxious for you to know that Jesus loves you, that God loves you. And this is how we know he shows us love because we've read this before. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the whole message of the Gospel of Mark. Pastor Tom and I pray that as we spend the next several weeks in Mark's Gospel, God will use this time so that you too will be able to say and that God loves you. And I want to proclaim to you right now, good news, good news, Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who came so that we would know your love. And we pray that in the coming year that we might come to know you closer and more more fully. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.